awesome. Let's just pray together for a moment. God, we want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your provision as you gave Jesus Christ for us. And Lord, as we come into this place today and we, we hear about what went wrong in creation, that we learn that we're responsible. I pray that you would help us to find the truth here for us, that you would help us, Jesus, that we would be able to move towards you. We just thank you so much that you're there, that you were there in the garden and you're here now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. Welcome this morning. I think it finally turned spring this week, right? That's some nice weather. It's been awesome. Uh, so I'm just going to invite you, if you would, if you just go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 3. We're actually moving out of Genesis 2 this week into Genesis chapter 3. And so you can do that. Also, you grab your message notes and be able to uh, follow along and write down some thoughts. Uh, all the Bible verses we'll use will be here as well if you just want to use this. And I just want to say, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you one. It'd be our gift to you. And so right out those doors, there's a rack bookshelf, and it's loaded with Bibles, and you just take one today. It's our gift to you, uh, and we just love for you to have a Bible in your home um, so that you can be able to read it on your own as well. So here we go. We've spent the last four weeks talking about this idea of flourishing, and as we've looked at the idea of flourishing, what we've said is the, the best word that you can use to describe flourishing in the Bible is the word shalom, and the word shalom. And so we've come and we've under, come to understand that this word shalom, what it means is, is that there's nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it is ought to be. And that's the world that God created. He created you and me to live in that environment. And so what we've done over the last four weeks is that we've looked at creation from that perspective, and we've talked about the fact that this is the way that God made it. And we've just been, I, I don't know about you, but I've just been singing several times, just thinking about the beauty of what God made, how awesome it is. I looked in the mirror several times this week and said, you are shalom, okay, from last week. And just love that idea uh, as God made me perfect in my mother's womb. And so I'm created in his image. And we've talked a lot about that. And it's just been wonderful, hasn't it? Four weeks, we've just looked at how wonderful God made everything. Well, today we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about what happened. What the heck happened anyway, okay, to the creation he made, what happened in us. And we're going to look at that today. And it's my prayer that each one of us, that as we're going through our time together today, that every one of us would be able to own our personal responsibility in what's wrong in the world. That every one of us would be able to own and we'd be able to say, I and what's wrong in the world. And I'm going to bring us down to that place in just a little while. Last week, we ended with the idea uh, from Genesis 1.31, right at the top of your notes, and God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So he designated the world that he had made and the relationships that were established. He de designated that as very good, and so that would be shalom. Nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. So... If that's the way he designed it to be, what went wrong? Because I, I don't know about you, but unless you're living with your head in the clouds or in the sand in some way, it'd be hard for you not to 
be willing to admit that there's just something wrong in our world, right? There's something wrong. In 2016, the band, the Black Eyed Peas, released, re-released their hit song, Where Is the Love? I'm sure you guys all have it on your playlist, right? Where is the love, okay? Well, this song asks the question that we want to ask today, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And then it goes on to list, and throughout the lyrics of the song, it goes on to list some of the things from their perspective is wrong with the world. It talks about racism. It talks about <clears throat> terrorism. It talks about war. It talks about greed, anger. It even talks about the media before Donald Trump did, okay? There we go. So we have the media. Now, you would assume that a song entitled, Where is the Love?, that that would be where they're going to guide us to and that they would be want to end the song that all you need is love, right? That that's where they would end. And if we just got a little bit more love, that everything would work out well together. But the song doesn't do that. In fact, toward the end, here's what the song actually says. Father, 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 help us with some guidance from above. Father, 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 help us with some guidance from above. And then it ended the same way that the song started. We've only got one world, and there's something wrong with it. Something's wrong with the world, okay? That's the way it ends. Something's wrong with the world. So what is wrong with our world? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been willing to go down to the depths to ask the question, what is wrong with the world? What's well, a question that's plagued humanity for years? And I think next week what we'll do is we'll come back next week and we'll talk about some of the ways that people think the world is broken. And then if you think it's broken this way, then you come up with your solution. But the Bible says this. I just want to be really clear. This would be right up front, right from the very beginning today. The Bible says that what is wrong with the world is sin. Sin. What's wrong with the world is sin. And what I want to do is help us today to kind of wrap our brains around it. Because so, so many of us get stuck in this whole idea of sin. And we think that sin basically means I'm not doing what God says. I'm violating God's law. Well, that is definitely sin when I violate God's law. But it's actually more than that. And I want you to help me with this today. Just think about it. Sin or what's wrong with the world is not just when I violate God's rules. Because, you know, we get all caught up in rule image management. But sin is when I violate shalom, when I violate shalom myself, when because of my actions, I create a scene or scenario where it looks like there is something broken, there is something missing, and it's not as it ought to be because of the way that I've responded. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little bit about the fall of mankind today. Now, some of you may have heard messages on this. And I think it's going to uh, hopefully uh, help us all as we kind of wrap our brains around this today to share the story of the fall of mankind by looking at three actions that were initiated that led to the disruption of shalom. There's a disturbance in the force, and it's caused by sin. That's what we're going to talk about. God hates sin because sin violates shalom. And it's more than I said, just violating the law. So let's put ourselves in the Garden of Eden, okay? Let's go back for four weeks. If you were not here for any of the four weeks, I want to suggest that you go back and listen to those, maybe watch the messages, and just see the wonderful world that God made. And even work was part of the wonderful world that he made. And let's consider that first actions by the man and the woman that shattered shalom and unleashed evil in our world. First is this. The way you disrupt shalom, you distort God's word. 
And every one of these points has to do with God's word. Because it's through God's word that we know God's will. And if I can do away with God's word, then I don't have to worry about God's will. So that's what we're going to learn as we go through this today. Distort God's word. So let's just begin with the elephant in the room, okay? Just jump right in here. Elephant in the room is this. There's a serpent who talks. Right? What's up with this? A serpent who talks. Well, to be honest, we just don't know. There's a lot of biblical revelation that we're just not sure about, and we can have conjecture, we have theories about what we may think and what we're thinking about. And this is one of those times we just can't say with certain what's going on. For example, how did the serpent communicate? How did the serpent communicate? Did he speak Hebrew? All of a sudden, he just got up on his hind tail (laughs) and speak Hebrew, talk to them in that way. Uh, Was it some kind of mental telepathy that as he was slithering along and that he was able to communicate just through some mental telepathy? We just don't know. But what we're certain about is that they were able to understand one another. They were able to understand and communicate. That's one thing we're very certain about. So who was a serpent? Well, we know who the serpent was because the Bible tells us, uh, and you can read in Revelation uh, 12.9 and 22, uh, 20 verse 2, and it says that the serpent uh, was the, the ancient serpent was Satan or the devil. So the serpent is an enemy of God and God's people. Well, where did he come from? Well, we're not quite sure, but we do know that the Bible says, we're going to read the verse in just a little bit, that God actually made, God actually made this being because he's part of creation. And we, made, and we know that since God made all things that he made him as well. We also know from Ezekiel 14 and in Isaiah 28, that the Bible gives us a hint that the, the, the serpent was some kind of fallen angel, was actually the leader of worship in heaven. God created him as good, but because of his pride, he rebelled against God. Now, there's a lot we don't know, but what we know, here's what we know. Satan's purpose is to oppose God in every way he can, to disrupt shalom. And he does that by planting seeds of doubt. Planting seeds of doubt and calling into question what has God said. So let's just begin with verse 1 of chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest, and some of your translations will say crafty, of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really? Oh, come on. Why would God say, don't do this? Did God really say, you must not eat? From the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. Oh, my word. You can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. And just as he's actually making fun of God right now and making fun of Eve that she would ever do what God said. Causing her to distort God's word. He framed it as a question, but it's really a statement designed to distort what God has said and get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. What goes on and says this. Eve says, of course. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, some people ask, well, how long were Adam and Eve in the garden before this, act- this event actually happened? We don't know. We don't know. But obviously, it's long enough for them to think about the tree in the middle of the garden and even to add to what God had said to Adam And the addition that they added was this, is that we cannot even touch it. We can't even touch it. If I could just touch it, it would just be enough. But that's not what God said. 
God said, you must not eat it. And if you do, you will die. See, folks, when you distort God's word, it causes you, listen, to doubt God's word. When you distort it, it causes you to doubt it. And, and, and it might help if we thought about, well, what could Eve have said that might have showed that she trusted God's word? What could she have said? Well, you kind of just came up with this. When the serpents asked, did God really say you could not eat from any of the trees in the garden? She could have said, no, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. God is good. Just look all around at all he's given us. All of these trees, everything you look at, we can eat from. He's given me a husband who adores me. Our relationship is wonderful. We get to live in paradise. We get to live in Eden. We were made to flourish. This is shalom. God is good. That's what she could have said. But she didn't. Because she allowed Satan's words to distort God's word, which caused her to doubt the goodness of God. That's the first tactic that Satan will always use, is to distort God's word. Did God really say that? You can't, oh, come on. God wouldn't want you to not have your needs met. He made you this way. Surely he would want you to get your needs met in this way. We distort his word, which causes us to doubt his goodness for us. Second is this. Shalom is disrupted when you now deny God's word. When you deny God's word. So he started by distorting God's word, and now he outright denies God's word. But he even goes further. He attributes false motives to God. He attributes false motives to God. He's the master of deception. And this is what he says. You won't die. That's a direct contradiction to what God said. You won't die. It's a lie. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows. Here's the, where he you know, attributed to God non-truth. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you, Eve, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the serpent comes to Eve, says something like this. Eve, I've been watching you for quite some time now. And Eve, I just got to say, I feel so sad for you. I just feel I have to tell you something. Here it is. Eve, I know this is going to be hard to believe. Just know, hard to believe. But God has been holding out on you. Holding out. God does not want the best for you. God does not have your best interest in mind. Eve goes, really? Oh, but Eve, but Eve, but get this. I care about you so much. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. God is holding out on you. He's holding out on you. This is what God doesn't want you to know, Eve. You can be like God. You can be like him. If you obey God, Eve, you're going to miss out. If you obey God, Eve, you won't be happy. If you obey the will of God, it will keep you from being all you were made to be. You will not thrive or flourish. He was tapping into what is a common fear of many in our culture. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. See, this is one of Satan's biggest temptations, right? 
that, some, that somehow by doing what God's word says, you will miss out. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the tragedy right now is that Adam and Eve were as close to being like God as they could be as human beings. Right now, at this moment, they're as close to being like God as they could be as human beings. There was nothing to be gained by listening to the serpent, but everything to be lost. Everything to be lost. Satan deceived them by saying, you deserve more than God has given you. God is not good. He's holding out on you. So what Satan's doing now, he's denying the truthfulness of God's word. He's saying, God is limiting your freedom. Don't don't bother with what God says. Oh, my word. If you read this, you're going to find all kinds of limitations to your freedom. But God's holding out on you. See, the Bible is clear, folks, that when we read the Bible, that God is good. That's what it says. God is good is Satan is evil. But what Satan will try to get us to believe is the opposite, that his way is really the good way and that God's way is evil. I just want you to think about that in our culture right now. I want you to think about how this would apply, that Satan says his way is good, but that God's way is evil. God's way is evil. So the tree represents a desire to dethrone God, to erase God from culture, to erase God from our minds. D.A. Carson says it this way, it's the desire to de-God God, to de-God God, to make him less than God. It's the desire for the creature to take responsibility that was only made for the creator. So God asks us to do what he says. Not just to keep the rules, folks. We're so caught up in this. But to trust him. Just to trust him. That he knows what is best. Because he knows that sin will disrupt shalom. Okay. Third idea. Here's the third. By the way, these are steps of temptation, actually. Distort God's word. Deny God's word. Lastly, defy God's word. Defy God's word. That's where we get to. And to defy God's word is actually to act in opposition to what he says. So let's go on and read. It says, I, I don't know, this is probably the, one of the biggest, most, the biggest understatements in the entire Bible right now. The woman was convinced. <laughs> oh, it doesn't take much, does it? Comes along, throws out some words, just distort God's word. Let's just say it's the lie. And then it says the woman was convinced. And here's why. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. See, here's what happens. Satan makes sin look good. I mean, really, who would ever do it if it wasn't fun, right? Who would ever do it if it doesn't somehow in some way in the beginning meet some needs that we have? Looks delicious. It appears desirable. It's enticing. It feels good. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she wanted more than just what the desires were. She wanted the offer of being like God to know good from evil. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. 
Now, this is just an amazing, amazing sequence of events here. Now, we're learning a lot about Eve, but I think we're also learning just as much about Adam here, maybe more, um, that Adam, uh, and I'm going to get to this in just a little while, was abdicating his responsibility uh, as because God had given him the commands about keeping shalom. And so he's sitting off on the side, you know, watching all this, you know, uh, take place. And uh, as Eve is enticed, he's just as enticed, you know. He could have, you know, really, you think about this. If Adam really, really would have had her in his best interest in mind, if he really would have wanted to do what God said, at that point, he would have just jumped out with maybe grabbed a machete and he would have said, no, 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 we cannot eat this and chop the serpent, serpent up or something like that. Just said, no, we can't do this. But instead, he wanted it too. He was hoping that Eve would say no so that he could say no. He didn't have the strength to say no himself. So what happened is, is they erased God out of the center of their world and they placed themselves. Here's the key. They placed themselves in how they viewed life as their primary guide for their decisions, as they saw it. So instead of looking to God's word as the source of truth for their lives, they became their own source of truth. And as they gave in to the desirability of the tree, of the fruit, at that moment, sin entered into God's creation. And I'll just say it this way, folks. This is not the way God planned it to be. This is not Eden. We don't live in Eden. The world is the way it is because sin entered the world. And folks, I'll just say it this way. There are always repercussions when we sin. Always repercussions when we sin. So last week, what we did is we painted a picture of the perfect relationships of Eden. And I just talked about the wonder and just left us there with this desire of wanting what God had created and being in that place. We talked about that. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about those same four relationships and the repercussions that happened because of Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God to take God out of the center, to erase him from the equation, to think that they knew best and to act, okay? So let's just look at these on the back side of your notes. The first is this. They separated spiritual alienation from God. So the first thing is spiritual alienation from God. This is the most important thing. This is where I'm going to spend the least amount of time. It's actually the most important thing, though, today. Spiritual alienation from God. As a result of the fall, humanity is separated from God. So this is what it says in verse 7 through 8. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking. And in the Bible, when that word walking is used, it signifies God's presence in relationship. Remember last week, Elohim, mighty God, Yahweh, personal God, the Lord God, the personal God came walking. Now, God didn't have legs, okay? It's an anthropomorphism. And so it's just giving us an idea of what it was like when the relationship with them is just that they could take a walk in the cool breeze. And there was nothing between them at all. Nothing at all. So they were walking about in the, in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. So God came looking for them in the cool of the evening, looking for a relationship, but they hid from him. Now, 
from this day forward, human beings are hiders. We are hiders, and we're going to look at this in depth in just a little while, but we're hiders specifically from God. We want to hide ourselves from him, from his truth, from his word, because if we can, we can do whatever we want. We have to hide ourselves from him. The fall left us in a state of total ruin and unable to do anything that pleases God. That's our condition. That's our state. Second thing is this. It led to emotional alienation from self. Emotional, or you might even use psychological, alienation from self. As a result of the fall, we are alienated from God. Now, the rest of the alienations have to do with first being alienated from God, okay? So alienated from God, and because we're alienated from God, we are alienated from ourselves, which causes us to have a sense of a loss of identity and live with insecurity. So this is what it says in verses 9 through 11. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where they were? Uh, I just wish I had, oh, I told Dave Boland that I had to cut like 2,000 words out of my talk today. Usually they're only 2,000 words long. And just to get this in, but I just wish we had time today to talk about the ways that God shows mercy and grace in every encounter from here on out with Adam and Eve. Maybe we'll get to do some of that next week. But it says, the Lord God called, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Oh, God said, who told you that you were naked? You didn't know that yesterday. You had no idea you were naked yesterday. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Have you done that? Now, if you remember in Genesis 2.25, it says they were naked and knew no shame. But here they're naked and they know shame. They have an awareness now of their own condition. So nakedness is more than just you know, the shame for being unclothed. It infers guilt. This is what it's inferring, guilt. That there's something wrong with me. I'm ashamed of who I am, the core of who I am. And so my life is now about covering up and image management in order to be okay, in order to be secure in some way. The key is this. When I'm alienated from God, I'm also alienated from myself. I love how Martin Luther um, talks about this idea. He says that sin, and especially he's talking about pride, but pride is the source of most sin, is that it's when I'm turned in on myself, turned in on myself, where I can, I'm just thinking only about me. And that's what happens when we don't have God in the picture. We think only about ourselves and how we're coming across or how others, how we appear to others. And so we're constantly working on image management and how others perceive us in some way. And emotional or psychological alienation means we have a loss of identity. We know shame and we have painful self-consciousness. Painful. And we live with desperate insecurity and anxiety and fear. And we have this deep need to cover up so no one will see what is truly on the inside. Because you see yourself as you truly are. And that creates shame and self-loathing as we live our lives for us. Third alienation is social alienation from others. Social alienation from others. 
as a result of the fall, alienated from God, alienated from self, now I'm alienated from others as well, socially. And what that does is it causes all kinds of breakdowns in society, breakdowns with you know, crime, family breakdowns, injustice, oppression. But this is what the man said. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. The man replied, it was the woman. It was the woman you gave me <laughs> who gave, I'll get it right. You gave me who gave me the fruit, and so I eat it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? It was a serpent. That's what happened. It was the serpent who deceived me. That's why I ate it. So when confronted, when confronted, Adam threw his wife under the bus. <laughs> That's exactly what happened here. Threw his wife under the bus. Why? To protect his image. To protect his image. Sin is a willingness to throw anybody else under the bus to justify yourself. Sin is justifying yourself at the expense of other people, to find a way to blame them for your actions. So we already saw that when they, they ate from the tree of good and evil, that they immediately covered themselves up uh, because of the sin that they felt uh, of being exposed to each other. But see, folks, this is what happened. We cannot bear to have other people know who we are, so we hide. We have to be in charge. So one of the ways we're, we hide is that we're in charge of other people. And we try to control and power, uh, maintain power in relationships. And so we don't have relationships that are based out of love and service. We have relationships that are based out of control and maintaining power over other people. And so instead, they're based on, I have relationships so that I can get what's due me. And I use the people. See, after the fall, our relationships became superficial. We exploit one another. We are in conflict with one another each making sure that we get, because we are on the throne, Every way, all individuals are now on the throne, each making sure that we get what we believe we deserve. What happens is, is now we live in a competitive environment, scarcity environment, where there's not enough, and God designed shalom to be a cooperative environment where there's enough for everybody. That's the way God designed it to be. So we have alienation from God, alienation from self, alienation from others, and last, we have physical alienation from creation. Those are the four relationships we talked about last week that were in perfect harmony. Physical alienation from creation. Physical alienation from the natural world. Resulted alienated from God, and therefore, as part of his created order, we're alienated from nature, from creation, which causes us to experience hunger, natural tragedies, Sickness, aging, and even death. God designed the garden to be a place of blessing. Creation was on our side. On our side. All of humanity was designed to flourish in this garden with every other created thing. We were placed there to care for creation. That's why I believe there's a strong urge for us to have care for creation as part of our role as people who are followers of Jesus, care for creation. But here's what happened. When we turned our back on God, creation set itself against us. Against us. As a result of the fall, God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and into 
the land of the curse. The land of the curse. Now, I'm going to skip the curse on the serpent. This is where we're going to be pick up next week, verses 14 and 15. So let's just move on to verse 16. Let's look at the curse on the man and the woman. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Sorry, ladies. Uh, just... Adam's fault, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> this is why it's the way it is. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the, the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, Will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. The dust wins, basically. The dust wins. See, as God describes the curse, he's describing life without his blessing. That's what he's doing, okay? Remember you know, when we were in creation, this was life with God's blessing? Now we're talking about life without God's blessing. He's describing a life outside of the garden He's describing a land where the physical environment is no longer our friend. It's beautiful. Just think about how beautiful it is outside. But we live in the land of the curse. And so the physical environment is no longer on our side. You just go against the physical environment and you find out. Find out soon that it's not on our side. So now what happens is, is that we age. We get sick. We experience natural disasters and calamities, and we die. We die. Because we're alienated from our creator, we're also alienated from creation because of that. Every one of our relationships has been disrupted. Shalom has been disrupted because of sin. We have um, lost the gift of flourishing. This is the world in which we live. This is the world in which humans seek to rule so that they can have their way. See, God hates sin because it violates flourishing. God hates sin because it disrupts shalom. It interferes with the way that things were made to be, supposed to be. God made us to flourish in shalom, and sin created a world in which things are broken, and things are missing, and nothing is as it ought to be. That's what happened. I love that late Charles Colson, he wrote this, Every part of God's handiwork was marred by the human mutiny. At the fall, every part of creation was plunged into the chaos of sin, and every part cries out for redemption. That's what the Bible says. It says the creation cries out with longing for redemption. And that's the beauty of the curse of the snake that we get that to look at next week. I just want you to think about this. Think about, when you think about this whole idea, you look at Adam and Eve, and it's so easy to think, I would have never done that. I would have never done what they did. Well, they were in the garden, and they did it. So let's just have to say, they're as close to God as you could be at that point. So if they did it, we might probably have done the same thing. We might have done the same thing. So when we ask the question, what's wrong with the world? When we ask the question, what's wrong with the world? 
What's wrong with the world is that shalom has been disrupted. And why was shalom disrupted? What part do I play? What part do you and I play in this whole story? Well, I think that uh, G.K. Chesterton saw a question that a newspaper asked. And the question was, what's wrong with the world? And he wrote a letter to the newspaper, letter to the editor. What's wrong with the world? I am. G.K. Chesterton. See, I believe that with Adam and Eve, when God came to them in the garden, there was an opportunity that was missed. The opportunity that was missed was for Adam to say, we blew it. We went against your word and confessed to God. How would have things have turned out differently if Adam and Eve would have confessed their sin and turned to God? Well, that's what God asked us to do, is to confess our part, confess our sin and turn to him. So would you bow your heads and let's just take a moment to do that. Sure, we're not responsible for everything that goes on in the world, but we're responsible for what goes on in our part of the world. So I would just be honest, would you be willing today just to imagine that God comes to you and you've been in hiding? Now, I just want to I just want to ask all of you to wrestle with this with me. Because I know that some of you are thinking, I don't hide. I'm not hiding. Oh, no, I'm pursuing God with everything I have. Well, I just want to say that because we're broken and because of we're human, that there just may be an area you're hiding and you're not recognizing it because you're on the throne in this area. So we just allow God to speak to you. Would you allow him to show? Something comes to mind. Would you be willing? Don't blame easy to excuse. Would you be just willing to admit? Oh, yeah, I, I, I can see, God, that I distorted your word here. I was doubting your goodness to me. So I thought I had to get it on my own. Oh, I see now. I see now. Would you be willing to say, I just outright denied your word. I went against it. You know, he wants that kind of honesty. In fact, he embraces it. You deny it. And then you could say, I defied you. All sin at its root is defying God. All sin is defying God. God, I just thank you so much for Jesus. We sang about him today. Oh, we long for him. I believe that this message answers the question, what's wrong with the world? Why is there evil? And if it's a spiritual problem, then there has to be a spiritual solution. And I thank you so much for the redemption promised us, the grace and the mercy 
that we can experience from you when we turn to you. Thank you for the hope of that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.